0: You are listening to Pod Save the Rest of Us. Thank you for tuning in. I want to take time today to personally thank our sponsors, the J.I. Learning Center and the Solid Lotion Bar Company. Listeners, please do us a solid and support our sponsors. Thank you. Is it going? Come where'd you get your info from? I found mine on Reuters Fact-checked by three sources That were fact-checked for biases And are equal opportunity employers Well, didn't she make a fool of me? Welcome, Pod and the Rest of Us Listeners. You're listening to Elizabeth Stanley. I, along with Karen Castro, bring you Season 3, Two Roads. We drew inspiration for this season from Robert Foss' poem, The Road Not Taken. Given that we're all hunkered down, sheltered in place, it seems likely that most of us are taking stock in who and what we found Once free, what do we really want to do with our precious time? Throughout Season 3, you 10 stories of individuals who, on their life's path, realize that maybe, just maybe, the road less traveled was the difference their lives needed. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and as always, thank you for tuning in. I once heard someone say, throughout our adulthood, we can't help but to be reactive to our childhood traumas. When listening to Vanessa tell her story, these words really resonated with me. As you listen to Vanessa's story, you may begin to understand why. You may also want to celebrate with her, as she explains how she worked to ensure that she is in a good place, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Please be advised there may be some graphic or triggering content in this episode. Use your best discretion. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so thankful that you uh, joined us today and that you're willing to talk with us. Always. But all the pleasantries uh, done. So let's get started. Oh, thanks a lot. Sure. Moving <laughs> we'll right along. Great. All right. All right. Here we go. We're here now with Vanessa Rogers, and she has written a book, The Empowered Woman Series, and she's a part of that. And we're going to discuss uh, her journey to, through, and thereafter the book.
1: So, Vanessa,
0: welcome, and um, can you please tell us where did you grow up?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area in Danville, California, um, when I was you know, in like elementary school and middle school. And then I went to high school in Pleasanton.
0: And briefly tell, briefly tell us about the childhood trauma you carried with you for far too long.
1: Oh, we're just going to jump right or in. Jump right or let's it. go straight to that. Straight to it. Um, Sure. So, yeah, I mentioned that in the book and how I had carried it for too long. And I really did. And I don't think that it was meant for me to carry. Um, But it was basically just growing up in a home uh with an alcoholic and uh growing up in a home with uh suicide, you know, attempts happening from one of my parents, uh abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, not usually directed at me, but it was usually uh between my parents and I picked up all these beliefs throughout that process about how, you know, I made this up in my head, but I assumed that this is my fault, I'm not doing something right, I'm not safe, um, people aren't safe, relationships aren't safe, uh, the people who love you will leave you, etc. And so those beliefs kind of formed. Um, There's definitely some PTSD in there. And, you know, not really understanding my feelings or valuing my feelings. Um... And just kind of taking that and just trying to do life and grow up with that as my thought process.
0: All right. So that's the the background. And you said we're just jumping right into it. Mm-hmm. Tell us how from the outside things might have appeared normal. What was your childhood really like or or you presume people assumed your life was like? Yeah. What were you doing?
1: Oh, it looked really normal because parts of it were good. Like parts of it were great. Um, but yeah, from the outside looking in, I had a really privileged life. Um, I had two parents in the home. I had a mom who stayed home, um a dad who worked really hard and did really well and was they were actually there for me a lot when it came to like I went to a good school and I we had a beautiful home and I played on lots of different sports teams and they went to all my games. Um We had money, you know, Um, I had nice clothes. Not that I really cared about that that much, but I did. Um, I kind of we traveled the world like we did a lot of things where from the outside looking in, it would be like, wow, that family kind of like has a lot of privilege and kind of has it all. What do you imagine the reaction of people?
0: We're not going to get into the book yet, but obviously we will. But Mm -hmm. just from reading the book, what, what do you presume the average person who knew you just maybe your classmate who knew you maybe cheated off your paper or, um, you know, you would, you know, say hello and, you know, laugh at some jokes and, um, talk a little bit. How do you think they perceived your, your perspective, your life perspective?
1: It's so funny. I actually wish I knew, like, I would love to, hear that. I don't really understand how I'm perceived. It's kind of hard to know, but I think they might be surprised, I guess. Um, it's so hard. It's so hard to think like, well, what were they going through? You know what I mean? Maybe they did look at me and think like, wow, she's really confident. She has a lot of friends. She's good at sports. Like she's probably never had a problem or something. If people think like that, I don't know if they do, but, um, Well, did you? Did I think like that about people? I sure did. So they probably did. Yeah. So maybe they did Um, think that about me. And then I wonder, like, those who maybe knew me a little bit better, if they, you know, actually they would probably say, like, her parents were so cool. Because they were. They were really wonderful to my friends and really good people. But I just think people would be really shocked. You know, it's like the stuff that goes on behind closed doors.
0: Right, and so that that
1: that leads me to the part two of this
0: question is as they're reading it and you're revealing your story to them, what do you other than shock, is there any other thought or um, words that might coincide with what you think they're being
1: told in your story? Um, what I think they're being told is that... Um, I don't know, you never know, like you think you know people. Is. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, you think, you know, you assume that like someone has everything or someone has it all together. I don't know if someone would think that looking at me. But just, I guess the main thing here is like you, I want to say like everyone has their struggles, but I it's really hard to compare. Like, uh, I don't know. Everyone has their struggles and um, you kind of just don't know the battle that someone might be fighting, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And speaking of battling, so your mom battled um, uh, depression, was mm-hmm. it? hmm mm-hmm. just, just depression? Uh, addiction. Addiction. To alcohol. Okay. Yeah. And probably because of depression, and most likely she was self-medicating. Um, yeah. So because of that, you probably bridged or, or built a closer relationship with your father as a I need you to protect you or I need you to protect me and I have to protect kind of a partnership oh yeah so tell us about um tell us about that relationship in in and how it corresponds with with a a um maybe a bad day in your mom's life
1: Mm mm-hmm sure so um you know, when I think about that, like my dad and I growing closer because we were like, it didn't help her to, she definitely felt, I'm sure at times, like she didn't have anybody on her side. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't helping matters. But um, a bad day in her life, like what would that, how would that go for us? I mean, I would get home from middle school and I would really pay close attention to what music was playing <clears throat> because... If it was a certain song by a certain artist, uh, I would know that there would be bad things to look forward to that day and just kind of see what I'm going to discover when I get home and then try to manage that as best I can until my dad gets home and then try to communicate that to him as best I can in a way that she won't see so that he knows what he's walking into and then just kind of brace for the next rest of the evening, um, when they're going to get in an argument and he's going to leave. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of damage control, you know, just between tr- both of you. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, f- I, that was my whole mindset was damage control. Well, how do we minimize, you know, how do we minimize the destruction that's going to happen tonight?
0: So give us an example of one destructive, you, you know, you you get home from school, you had a fun day, you know, recess, and mm-hmm. I'm sure getting some A's in, <laughs> in some of your classes because mm-hmm. you are astute and a great student. And then you come home, you know, you, you know what could be waiting for you behind that door.
1: What, what, describe a bad day. Mm-hmm. You know, this is hard for me because... I don't, I don't want to tell my mom's, my mother's story, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell mine. Um, so it would be like, uh, you know, I think so much of, you know, her suit, like her larger suicide attempt happened when I was three. So I have a feeling that I was kind of trying to keep her alive and I don't know if I, if I knew that, but that was always my plan. Like try to keep her alive today you know don't let her get too upset today uh find the alcohol today i always knew where to find it like i am a pi you know i will find everything all the time i have this like gift now um but mostly like how angry is she going to get at my dad is she going to attack him am i going to have to watch that and then he's going to leave and he's going to leave me with her and then what's going to happen you know like she wouldn't really direct her anger at me on nights like that but You know, how upset is she? Is she going to try to take her life? Is she going to leave? Are they both going to be gone? Are we going to have to leave? What's going to happen? And it would be anywhere on that scale, you know, of things. And then I would grow up and I would leave, (laughs) which was great. (laughs) But, uh, you know, just like wanting to leave a lot too. Like, well, shit, I want to leave. Let's go. Or like, I'm going to go with my friends, which thankfully you know my dad while trying to manage his own life and my mom was also keeping a pretty close eye on me most of the time as best he could otherwise I probably would have been gone
0: did he ever leave
1: he would leave but only to do damage control you know what I mean so he would leave like at night after dinner because he would be being attacked and I honestly don't know what this wasn't every night, by the way. Like, there were nights when they would watch TV together and, like, help me with my homework. But on a bad day, since you asked about a bad day, he would have to get out of the house. Yeah. Like, there's there was no way to, like, calm her down, you know, just, like, as an angry person who had had too much to drink.
0: Well, that, that leads me to the question. He left you with her. Yeah. But your mom never turned her her violence against you or just maybe not physical, but just verbal.
1: You know, as I grew up, she and I got into like pretty big arguments. What do you mean? Grow up. We're talking high schooler. Yeah, I want to say middle school. We probably started fighting more, screaming more. um, Definitely in high school. But she would not be angry at me the way she was angry at my dad. So I would usually just go in my room and be with my dog. Um, but yeah, he would leave. And I don't know, go drive around or something until she fell asleep. Yeah. And so I would just go into my room and hide. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us a good
0: to a good spot of talking to about your relationship with your father as well as losing your father. Because both are... It's obviously the relationship you had with your father is, is very important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then losing him, the the trauma that you had to suffer, being an only child, which is something we kind of left out of that. Mm-hmm. Although you do have step-siblings, you were raised in the home as an only child, your mom's only child. Mm-hmm. So that relationship with your father is really important, and then losing him. And so can you kind of just take us through that journey with your father and then the loss of your father.
1: Yeah. I mean, the amazing thing about my dad who did a great, great job at being so active in my life. I mean, I don't, I I wish I could ask him like, how did you do that? (laughs) Uh, He would teach me, you know, about whatever it was I was doing in school. My mom was actually pretty active too. Like she would help in my classrooms and stuff. But He, uh, he knew something about telling me every day that I was valuable. He knew that there was something to that. I don't think he had that growing up. I'm not totally sure, but he, uh, would like make sure that I was good, you know, um, all the while trying to keep everything else together, but making sure that, uh, he rebounded for me when I would shoot baskets in the backyard every day, making sure that, uh, you know, he was there to drop me off and there to pick me up. I mean, they both were for most of my activities. Um, always telling me like, he was a big fan of Thoreau. So his favorite quote was like, build castles in the sky. That's where they belong. Now you put the foundations under them. And just like, whatever you want to be, you're going to be that and you can do that. And showed me that my whole life. And so I had this chaos that was happening, but I had this confidence too. this, like, I don't know if it was worth, but it was like self-esteem that he kind of helped me build. And then I did well in school and he was there to celebrate me all the time Um, at every game, every test at school, every quiz, my math homework late at night. Like it was the essential, like I have someone who's always there for me thing, which is what I really needed. And then he was gone. So it's very tough to have felt. um, It's, it's, it's like the rug being pulled out, you know, wait, wait, (laughs) wait, that's the person who's always there for me. What do you mean? He's, he didn't wake up, you know? So I think I, I leaned on him so much because we were just starting to have a friendship. Like, you know how, When kids get into, like, college, it's a different relationship you have with your parents. And after college, you start to have a friendship. Yeah. You connect on a different level. We had just, you know, I had just graduated college. We were really starting to have that friendship um, relationship. And uh, And then it was like, oh, wait a second. You know, that person or... Believing that you would have someone who would be there for you is actually not the case So I questioned a lot of things after that Sort of brings up a little bit of abandonment It did then tell us about
0: the phone call of hearing your father had passed away. Where are you? What are you doing? Etc.
1: Yeah well, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I was laying on this like little twin bed in this apartment I had in London. That was a crappy apartment. And um, I don't know why I was awake, but I was. And I just, I had this little pay-as-you-go European flip phone. Uh, I had, my whole life was in London at that time. And I didn't actually have any plans of coming back to the United States. But my dad had been asking me to come back you know, actually saying he missed me. My mom was like, no, you should stay in London. Like London's the best. And she loves it there. And my dad was like, please come on, like, come home. Um, So I was actually thinking about coming home. But yeah, you know, it was two o'clock in the morning and you just kind of get that pit in your stomach where you're like, "Mm, that's a US call and it shouldn't be coming right now. Uh, So yeah, it was my, my mom and my half-sister on the phone, and uh, my mom just like gave it to me straight, you know, it's like, that's it, I don't remember what else was said other than, uh, yeah, your father had a heart attack and he died, and that was kind of like, okay, uh, well, I'll come home, but meanwhile, my mom, by the way, beat alcoholism and was sober, for, you know, it's not a perfect thing. She's a sober alcoholic, but is unstable. (laughs) So I'm thinking, what's she going to do tonight? You know, um, she had, my dad called me that night and I didn't answer the phone just to tell me he loved me like he always did. And I said, I would call him back later. And, uh, he laid down. He laid down after dinner and didn't wake up. And my mom said, you know, it was, she's like, I was calling his name. It was just too quiet. And I went in to check on him and she tried CPR and she called 911 and the ambulance came. And I'm like, she just went through a lot tonight. Yeah. I need to get back to San Francisco now, but I'm in England. So I asked my half sister, can you just stay with my mom until I get there? And she said, no. So I was just hoping that when I got back, I would have my mom there still. Of course. And I did.
0: Good.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I left my apartment. And I left my clothes, my suitcases, my deposit, my life, and just got on the plane. And honestly, I don't have a problem with having left that stuff. I would, what does that shit matter anyway? You know, um, I just needed to get back to what was most important but I definitely return to that emotional place of like <laughs> better get your damage control going, you know yeah, it's a long flight okay,
0: so you go through the process of burying your father and saying goodbye and now now you take on the role of your father taking care of your mother and And some revelations are made regarding finances, et cetera. And that's all on your shoulder. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. um, The interesting piece here, too, you know, is so my mom had bipolar. I think, you know, it's like I've seen some paperwork on that. It's hard, difficult for me to share this because I don't know if people are going to listen to this who know her. And I don't know if she would be comfortable with that. But um, she did lose her memory. For those who don't know, um, my mom has a mental handicap and like, that's not something that you hear about a lot, but every day for her is difficult because she doesn't have short term memory and it's different every day. And then some short term memories become long term memories and you can remember those, but she sure can't manage my dad's finances, you know, um, or a job. Things like that. Poor thing. So, so yeah, you know, like it's just a, it's a rains of pours scenario where her name wasn't on the house and the house, we were being sued for the house and all my dad's assets, which I don't even know what assets he had. I still don't. There was no will. Um, and I hired multiple attorneys and everyone to do all the digging and find everything we could find and, I don't know I didn't find it. <laughs> so uh she had a lot of credit card debt though that wasn't hers. Um a lot of creditors. I think that's probably one of the things I remember the most was how horrible the creditors were to me. Like just sick mean mean people that I think were trying to bully me into paying or being scared but it was illegal that she had debt in her name. She didn't take out those credit cards. She didn't sign those papers. Um, and she's also not mentally capable to, to have a conversation with them about it. You know, she doesn't know. So just, you know, that my dad is being audited. My dad had a, a lot of side businesses. He had a batting cage and he had all these other businesses. And I'm going, I don't know what to do with those or what the expenses are or were. And now I'm I got a job in San Francisco and was like hiding in a, in a, you know, like hidden office to try to have conversations with the IRS about what they're after people for. And is my mom going to be responsible and uh, going to court? So just, you know, add that in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> got that in the mix. Oh man. But like, it's fine because I don't like give a crap about the house or the bank accounts or, you know, the hard part is that my mom can't work, but I can. And even when all that stuff was going so sideways, uh, I just wanted my dad, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't know that was that's the important loss and the other stuff was we'll get through it whatever yeah exactly you just kind of go through the steps and eventually that's behind you which it is now which is just like so amazing (laughs) one of the byproducts of
0: of trauma and ptsd for you was um i'm gonna guess self-esteem had to do with that and Um, but you know, I could be reading into it, but tell us about your relationship with food.
1: Oh yeah. So I always felt like, uh, so the flip side of self-esteem, I think with what you're mentioning is shame. Um, and so I always, you know, my mom actually made sure of it that like, I wouldn't have a problem with alcohol. Like she would make sure to tell me that all the time. Like, Don't go down that road. Don't do it to yourself. And so it scared me enough to like be really present about how I was using alcohol. And I'm very lucky to not be addicted to alcohol or drugs. Um, They didn't interest me. I didn't like it. It really turned me off, right? Because it would, it wasn't fun. It wasn't a fun escape for me. It was more sad to think about what it did to my family But I needed an outlet for all my shame, you know, and all the feelings that I had stuffed that I didn't know what to do with. So um, for me, I guess, you know, I'm trying to think of all the things that could have been, but I definitely had a disordered relationship with food in that way. And just that I had to comfort myself somehow. I was carrying all this pain. I was carrying all this shame. I was carrying PTSD, anxiety, anxiety. And I didn't know that, you know, I was just like, sort of like a headstrong, just get out there and accomplish and make things happen. And that's all you're supposed to do person in my head. So I would use food to be like, Oh, my God, this makes me feel so much better. And it did. Um, I also had like, a really healthy appetite and still do. But it wasn't Like, there was much more to the relationship where I would be overeating and binge eating and eating lots of sugar and using it to, like, what's the why behind my food choices? It wasn't for my health. It wasn't for fuel or energy. It was to feel okay. And, you know, when something gives you a false sense of feeling okay... I wanted to feel okay so bad that my life started to kind of revolve around that. And I I actually needed a lot of food because I was exercising a lot and playing sports. So I don't think I quite saw immediately how much I was overdoing it or exactly how I was overdoing it because I was like burning it off a lot and, um, then I would overeat or try to restrict and i try to go on a diet. And then there was like the high school girls at the dance talking about how they wanted their ribs to show. And I'm like, well, my ribs don't show. Is that bad? And using food to try to make me feel safe and wanted and happy and comfortable. And then it's like, oh, well, it's actually making me, am I, am I going to be too big? Um, should I be smaller? well, how do I use food to feel that? And it was just like trying to use that as my answer to everything, which is very disordered, you know? And and I was eating food three times a day, probably more than that, because it's always there. You always have to have some of it. So, yeah, it kind of like became an escape. In your story in the book, you talk about...
0: um Uh, bouts of bulimia can you Mm -hmm. share that with us
1: yeah it was um something that a couple of girls actually in middle school approached me about and said like hey this is what we're doing and this is how we do it and you should try it and i said no in middle school but i think in in high school i got to the place of like all right i'm desperate now like i'm more desperate there's more pressure now so screw it i'm just gonna try it and I also tried restricting, like, I think if I wasn't obsessed with food, I would have probably been anorexic, but like, don't take away my (laughs) happiness. Right. I can't not have that. So I would, I would binge and purge infrequently, but I wonder to this day, like, you know, I didn't know I was harming myself. I thought I was helping myself. Like, here's a shortcut. Here's a hack. Um, stuff yourself so much that you can feel okay but then like you really regret doing that so just go you know get rid of it and go on with your life like nothing happened it works it's like the best hack ever no one needs to know but like I told my high school boyfriend and I just I knew that I didn't want to hurt myself anymore and that's the beauty of it I know that not everyone has that come up right away for them but I definitely had this thing that was like, if you're addicted to this, um, you're not going to have any addictions, Vanessa. So you're going to figure this out because addiction is not your road. You're not going to take it. Um, so I actually was, you know, after high school and into college, very, very adamant about, I'm not going to do this to myself anymore. And I eventually stopped doing it. Uh, which which is great because it's just like, it's like, okay, well now let me actually look at the real problem.
0: I I think it's interesting that you told your high school boyfriend, what was his reaction?
1: Oh man, he was devastated. He beat himself up for feeling like, why didn't I know? How did I not know this about you? Why didn't I? He's so sweet. But, um, You know, that's the other thing is that it's, it's very dishonest, I think, to just keep something so big from your partner. So I was lucky to have a great partner who I could talk to about it. All right. Let's,
0: let's start going down your professional journey, working in San Francisco, Pleasant Hill. And then as you put literally bored to tears Mm -hmm. and then what happened after that?
1: Yeah. It's like I got in that mode of achieve, achieve, achieve. Make money, be, corporate job, yeah. Get um hit. I mean, sales was like, I knew I wanted to learn sales just as a skill, but it's a great way to make money, let me tell you. Um, and I needed money really bad, and so did my mom. But you know, you get to a point where it's like, for me, the hamster wheel was painful after a while, like, um. it's just a learning thing you know what I mean if I'm not learning a lot if I'm not in a new environment if I'm not challenged and growing it's painful for me (laughs) so there's a good like I don't know 10 years that went by of me just trying to climb the corporate ladder and I did and I was like you know the youngest person in this position with this title and I didn't like managing people so that was not fulfilling you know as i went up the ladder it was just like more work i didn't want to be doing uh and then i'm like well let me switch over to nonprofit cuz i'll be finally helping people i had a friend of mine come up to me and say from our corporate jobs like you know that at this corporation we spin what we do like we're helping people Because uh, we were consultants for Fortune 500 executives. And we would always say, like, we'll help your team be more effective. And she's like, you know, we're not actually, like, they don't need us. Like, we're not really helping anyone. And I was like, oh, (laughs) like, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Wait a second. We're not really helping anyone. So I immediately tried other other corporate jobs and finally got to that point where just sitting in front of the computer, like, I remember – and there's a lot of like idle time, you know? I'm not being challenged. I'm not interacting with people. I don't care for the topic of the work I'm doing and like I would think also about like my father died and had no signs. Like what if tomorrow, so if let's say tomorrow's not promised, why am I sitting here right now? And so I remember having like tears in my eyes at my desk just bored by myself with nothing to do really. And, and it just dawned on me in this moment, like bored to tears is a saying. And now I know why, like it's actually real. And that was painful for me. Like it really woke me up. And so, um, there was just this huge, overwhelming sense of wasting, like wasting my time. I mean, literally my time, like this gift of my life on earth is being wasted. And I don't think I can live with that. Like, I don't think I want to choose that. Why am I going to choose that? Um, But I didn't know which way to go. That's the problem. You know, that was where my like desperation really kicked in. It's like, okay, like my mom's had a lot of pain in her life and she, she has beat it and come out on the other side and she's working on herself every day. My father is gone and I'm, and I'm at this desk doing nothing. And I'm just like, is this it? Is this it? Is this why I'm here? And, and it's like, just please, God, give me a sign. If there is something else, anything else on this planet that I could be doing, that I should be doing, I'll do it. I don't care what it is because I don't want to feel like this anymore. Um, So I asked for that, uh, literally out of just like agony of lack of direction and, and impact and purpose. Um, and I got it. What was the answer? You know, I did a little exercise with like, I don't know. I got this like idea that was like, and this is a long time ago. I feel like people have been doing this now for years, but this was like eight years ago seven years ago, what would I do then if it was up to me? Cause I feel like I was very much a victim to my circumstance. Like, well, this is what my background is. And this is what my resume says. And it's like, no, no, no. What do you want to do then? What do you want to do? And so, um, I wrote down work with people whose parents were addicts. And I was just like, that scared me too much. I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. And then the other thing I wrote down was health coach, and I, cause I had wanted to be a nutritionist in college and I was like, I don't know what a health coach is. And I went to sleep and I woke up and I got an email for a program that was studying, uh, eating psychology, which was health for people who had, you know, experienced trauma. I mean, it, it doesn't get clearer than that. And when you know that something is clear and it comes your way, you say, yes, I don't care what it costs. Right. Why? Because I was literally on my knees crying the night before. Like, I'll pay it. <laughs> it's here. Yeah. So I said, yes. Everything changed after that.
0: Tell us about that.
1: Um, well, the cool thing was I had this job that was so easy and not challenging that I could study my other program work, my eating psychology program work all day. Like, I had all the space to just study and learn, and um, I was healing myself through this program, which was a year long, it was like several hours a day, it was like, I don't know, 35 books to read or something, and I got the answers I needed, you know, I got the answers to why I was in pain, I got the answers to why my behaviors were disordered with food and without food Um, meaning like you know why I was struggling with my feelings and my emotions and how that's tied to the way I do my daily life and every book on that list and every video of content that I watched opened another door for more learning and more healing I mean, I would read these books and, like, just pause and, like, hug them. <laughs> like, I remember I used to take the bus to work so I didn't have to sit in traffic. And I would just read all the way there. I'd read on my lunch break. I'd read all the way back. And I would read these books and hug them. Like, like you're here for me. You, like, I am being guided. Every day I felt that way. Every day I felt like you asked for help. And here it is.
0: List some things that ring more poignant to you like this is this message was so strong that it
1: it made me keep going and knew I was on the right path um poignant it's funny because they were all that way um every single thing was it's like it's either all working for you or none and It was, it's like depends on how you see it, right? So every single thing I did was guiding me. It's like I would dive into some research about heart disease, right? Because my father died of heart disease and that was unfair. Like that didn't need to happen, in my opinion. And I learn about all these things about food and it starts to click. You know what I'm saying? And then I talk to my friends because I've had this huge death, you know, happen in my life who also lost their dad and their dad and their dad and their dad to heart disease. And that's when I'm like, Vanessa, do more work on this, you know, or when I'm, so that's half of the equation, right? It's the health, like people deserve to be at their children's wedding. People deserve to meet their grandchildren. Like that will fuel me forever, How do we fuel our bodies and take care of ourselves in a way that allows people to do that with this gift of life that we have on this planet? How are we using it? You know, do we get to really truly grow and enjoy our loved ones? Or is that going to be taken from us? How much of a say do we have? Let's stack the deck in our favor. And then, so all the information came to me. You know, it's like the right things came at the right time. Another thing is like Byron Katie. I'm telling you, I found so many teachers. Like I just have teachers all around me. I found a meditation teacher, Byron Katie, you know, who's in California. Like California is full of amazing teachers. And one of them, I remember actually hugging the book, was Byron Katie talking about being a lover of reality and Stop wishing for something that you want to be a different way. See something in reality how it is. And then when you start to catastrophize, which like a lot of people with PTSD immediately shift into what's the worst thing that's going to happen? The worst is going to happen. How can I prepare for that? She says, if you think about it, just make friends with the worst that can happen. Just meet it and make friends with the worst that can happen. Meaning, do I have to live my life in fear can I actually just meet this and know that I'll actually be okay, no matter what? It's a very different thought process than I had ever had. I mean, I was ready for my world to come crashing down every day. And how that affects the body, how that affects the stress um, that wears us down. So it's like these messages were finding me every day. It's like, I, how do you even describe what it's like to get this much guidance every day? I just knew I wanted more and I want to keep going. And with that guidance and with all that information, you forged your own company. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, it wasn't going to be my first choice. Like I wanted to just be humble about it. And by that, I mean, like I was very scared. Um, I forged my own company, but it was like against all of my, stress responses in my body because guess what like if you're going to take a financial risk like you're about you could possibly lose everything again so it took me a really long time but eventually there was just like enough you know you 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 open up to guidance you open up to the signs there's enough things pointing me toward do this and take a chance you're here you talk about this gift of life you have every day now you've been gifted with information to share with other people. Are you going to hold on to it or are you going to share it? And it's like, oh, no, I need health insurance. Oh, oh, no, I have bills to pay. Oh, I don't have a safety net. Oh, did I have to take care of my mom. Oh, da, da, da. every excuse in the book. But um, I finally had enough opportunities come to me that were like, here, let me help you start your business. You know, it's like, they just kept showing up. So I did, I started, I meditated and asked for a business name and it came. And, um, what is that name? Feed your spirit incorporated. It came to me. All I can tell you is that I knew that that was what the name was supposed to be. And at this stage, like, I'm just allowing it to happen through me, and um, I want to help those in pain, because the people that, that find me and work with me every day are miraculous. And it's not because of me, but if I have this information that I can share, just facilitate to help healing, because addiction, by the way, and mental illness runs rampant, if people have been affected by that through their parents or siblings or you know, coworkers or who knows, uh, let's start, let's start working our way back to healing. You know, it's like, I, I will sacrifice for that. That's all I want to do. Yeah. I love doing it. And it's feed your spirit. Yeah. It's feed your spirit. Um, and I've done group programs. I've done, you know, I do one-on-one programs, but it's literally just it's just like what I went through, where I was willing to say, can somebody help me? I, I, this isn't going well for me, right? And people find me one way or another, and then their healing journey begins. Like I happen to be there to walk with them or observe it, but they start getting all the information that they need because they said, I'm ready to heal. And I get to see that happen. Tell us how you were able to become a part
0: of the Empowered Women series.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and what's that? What brings sure. it all to it? Yeah. So, the Empowered Woman series is a series created by Jolie Dawn, who is such an incredible person and woman um, who I didn't know a year ago. Um, and now she plays such a big role in my life. Uh, January 1st. I was in Seattle, Washington, and I had the day to myself, um, or maybe it was, yeah, I think it was the first, and I um, wrote down my goals, as I do every year, and it's like, when are you going to start taking bigger leaps, Vanessa? Because I don't actually like to do that, right? I tend to hang on to safety, Uh, want to. So anyway, I wrote down my goals and one of them was like, you have been carrying this story with you your whole life and hiding it always. Like you have hidden this story from everyone except for maybe you. (laughs) Um, so maybe you should write about it. And I wrote it down and you know, it's like whenever you commit to something, whenever you open up to something and whenever you write something down, like it's going to, happen. It's going to find its way to you. So it was probably like I don't know 2 weeks later that I was introduced to Jolie and she asked me to to co-author a book with her. And of course, I was like that sounds horrible. I want to hide my story. Please don't make me do this, but I keep myself accountable. I wrote that down. It showed up. Okay, I'm going to do it. And so again, this was this came to me, it was placed in front of me as an invitation. When I am invited to something, I say yes, because I believe that this is for my highest good in some way, um, or the highest good of others. So I um, said yes, and wrote the check, and started writing. And she basically facilitates these. She has four books. They're all co-authored. Um... And in it's stories, each chapter is another woman's story of overcoming adversity and struggle. I mean, what's crazy is that she offered a group, you know, she did it with a group. So it was like a little group program we went through to do this. And everything about me was like, I don't like group programs. I don't want to share. I don't want to connect. I like to isolate. You know, I have my friends, but they're very carefully chosen. You're putting me in this vulnerable place with other people. But I said yes again. I had no other way of participating unless I was in the group. And honestly, wow, like group healing, group sharing and vulnerability is like where magic happens. It's medicinal. So I co-authored with these other women who also wrote their chapters, which freaking blew my mind. What they had been through. So what happens, like I start feeling a little less shameful for what I've been through, what I've been carrying. Obviously, I always had that belief that it was because of me. Don't let anybody know about it. Um, I don't feel that way about them and their stories. So I was able to share. I was asked to share everything, um, you know, that I went through in that chapter of the book three for the Empowered Woman series. It sounds very
0: Uh, upon empowering, empathetic. Like the whole thing is just
1: one big source of empathy for everybody. It is. It's also inspirational, I think, you know, because I look at these women who are all entrepreneurs and have created these incredible thriving businesses, and it's not because they had it easy. You know what I mean? It's not, we, we look around and think like, oh, well, that person must have had a lot of help. Or whatever, but we all do have a lot of help. But I, I recognize, like their brave sharing, their courage and sharing, will inspire anyone to say, "I can do it." Then, did you find the whole process as well
0: cathartic? Here's my story. I just got it out there, just like a big.
1: No. No, not not. Nope. At all. <laughs> Everyone told me it would be. Everyone still tells me that it is. It's not. Um, it felt horrible. It was awful. Um, too exposed too much. I didn't want to expose it. Uh You know, I was pushing myself to do this and I'm really lucky that I had Jolie and the group and an editor and deadlines. I mean, I was writing at one o'clock in the morning, writhing in pain. It was not cathartic, you know? Um, and then as soon as it was published or no printed, I, I regretted every... I regretted... I just wanted to go back. just want to go back in time and say no. Okay. So, Vanessa, from your new professional
0: and personal journey, what lessons have you learned that were not included in the book?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm glad you asked that. I... um. I continue to grow every day like at the same rate. Okay? It's not like I made it to some destination. You know? Um... So you could imagine if that book was published in July, uh, it's now November, uh, a a lot has happened in terms of my growth since then. It doesn't slow down. (laughs) Um, And I have not arrived. You never arrive, right? So for me, the other thing that I've learned that's not included in the book is like, oh gosh, how do I pick Um, anchoring? I think that I wasn't that familiar with anchoring. I could have used anchoring as a practice while I was writing it. That's probably why it didn't feel cathartic for me. I didn't have a proper practice to anchor me. Um, And someone who has these uh, emotional tendencies that I have or wiring that I have for like fear and things like that needs an anchor. So... I just want to mention anchoring. Like we can't anchor to food. We can't anchor to people. We can't anchor to, you know, shopping or drinking or achieving or working. Like check out what your anchor is and what are you anchoring to. And if you are flailing, then you don't have one in the moment. So anyway, I anchor to a spiritual practice personally and even if I wasn't anchoring to food anymore, like I don't really have that actually have no issue with food anymore in any way, which is miraculous. Definitely a miracle. What am I anchoring to instead? Because if it's not my spiritual practice, it ain't going to work. And so I didn't talk a lot about a spiritual practice in the book, but it's kind of the answer. What does that look like for you? It's still in progress. Um, It's changing every day because I'm getting more guidance on how to do this every day. But right now, it's um, trusting, patience, quiet, um, spaciousness. So that could be uh, or journaling or asking for guidance. It's it's a connection with the universe. It's a connection with a higher power. However you see that, call that, call whatever you want, or even like your inner self. But that for me means that I have to access what's inside of me in a way that's like not asking other people for advice or that I have to write down what went on in my day so that I'm not, um, bottling it up. And, um, you know on a very personal note which this isn't something that i push people to do i don't try to push people to do anything i have to i have to ask god to show me the way and i i will actually get that information if i listen and otherwise i'm going to try to put my own beliefs my own choices and preferences and control onto something and that may not be the answer I may not actually have all the answers so it also means letting go and saying this may actually not go the way that I want it to the way I think it should and relaxing into that and recognizing I'm going to be present every day I'm safe in this moment and I am being guided And then I don't feel like I have to anchor to something else to feel okay
0: you didn't grow up with a religious background, so you, through your learning and this this new path that you're on, you came across religion.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I really would love to have had that growing up, um, but either way, I, I love the path I'm on and where I am now. Um, it, it came to me in those moments, you know? It's like, it came to me in those moments of like begging and crying and wanting to be not miserable anymore. And when it comes to you, how do you not believe in it? You know, and then I would like that around that same time when I wanted to leave my corporate job, I got a book in the mail, you know, and that book was called Spirit Junkie by Gabby Bernstein, who was a drug addict Instead of being like a junkie, she became a spirit junkie. Oh, that's interesting. I'm learning about someone's connection to God and how that helped them heal their addiction. Like these things find me. That was in my mailbox, you know? And so I'm open to it, but honestly, it has been finding me and carrying me and all I can do is listen. And so I have been. I'm trying to listen better every day.
0: If you could change one decision you made in your youth... Youth to me is, you know, even your 20s are youthful. Um, what would it be, and why? I guess what I'm asking Vanessa is, if you had changed that decision or made a different decision, nonetheless, if that would have put you on your journey now, where you're, you seem a lot healthier and happy.
1: Mm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you're definitely happier.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly healthier. Would that have got you here sooner? Like, Did it take you so far off your path of, you know, you know, it was so self-destructive that, you know, you maybe not found your way?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, initially, my thought about that is like my steps are guided. I do have free will. um, So I know that's what your question is about. But like, I love my path. I like love every mistake I've made really, really love it, um, through the right things I did, and the wrong things, and the wrong turns, like, I love my wrong turns, because they took me where I needed to go, but, um, I have so much gratitude, it's hard to think about changing it, because I'm so grateful for everything I did have, like sports, and friends, and, you know, the good times with my parents, and meditation, but, there's something I needed to know at a young age about things not being my fault. And there's something I needed to know about me being safe that I didn't know. What do
0: you hope that people say about you? And maybe it is that you're vulnerable. Mm. Um, And that you're comfortable with it now.
1: I'm not, (laughs) it's still hard for me, but yeah, no, actually I've come a long way on that. Thank you for saying that. I've always lived that, like what other people think of me is not my business. So whatever they think is fine. But, um, I'd like them to think that I cared about them. I would like them to think like, you know what? And I've actually bumped into some people from like my younger years who were like, you know what? like you're a leader and you were never involved in drama and you always had a good attitude or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, you sure? (laughs) So that's a good thing to hear. I think I just want people to know that my intentions were good and I wanted good things for them.
0: All right. Do you have any last words or part of your story we missed? We didn't touch on that,
1: that we should have. I I would add that like therapy is really important Um, for people, especially who feel like, you know, I can take this on by myself. Um, I was really, really lucky to just, again, ask for help in certain situations where I was kind of unhappy with the direction of my life or the level of my emotional pain. And I found you know, the right therapist on Yelp, (laughs) or I found the right Reiki master on Groupon or whatever, like, look for avenues of healing beyond your own ways Uh, that I needed support from a professional who like wasn't a friend and wasn't my own way of thinking I needed a third party's advice. And I encourage everyone to get that. Along those lines, you're going to group therapy. Yeah. And
0: you said that's been the most helpful thing you've ever partaken in.
1: It has 100%. um, It's ACA, which is, yeah, so adult children of alcoholics. And it shines this light on what it's like growing up in a home with dysfunction. Hey, and you know what? I still feel like there must be so many people who had a perfect childhood and great but if you didn't there's something for you in this course it's a course they have a book they have a workbook and they have groups that meet to practice exploring the the text and really just sharing your experience and i mean i was so scared going in there like for those of us who had to keep secrets growing up it feels like a thousand pounds Of weight on your shoulders and if you're going to tell a secret a lot comes up a lot of shame a lot of guilt a lot of fear a lot of guilt (laughs) and you have to say it and those that's why those rooms exist that's why those ACA groups exist by the way they're in every city there's like 10 in every city it's amazing no one talks about it but I've read about it in a book I'm so lucky I did right it found me And you go in there and you have to share something. You just have to share something. And for people who like to keep things close to the vest and come off as strong and independent and live to keep their family secrets, like when you're ready, you got to say something. And as soon as you do, you're a different person. And you're surrounded by people with a very similar journey.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode, which was engineered and produced by Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We want to thank all our guests whose open and honest responses shaped another great season. As always, we need to thank our listeners whose support means so much to us. Additionally, we must thank our great contributors for their music, Hunter Lewis, Robert Stanley, Danny Burns, and Alejandro of Dro Beats. We also need to thank Justice Stanley for web and social media content, Jasmine Smith for web design, St. Hall for graphic artwork, and our sponsor, Solid Lotion Bars, and the JEI Learning Center. If you wish to find us, you can do so on our website, podsavetherestofus.com, as well as on Instagram at podsavetherestofus, and on the Twitter at savetherestofus. We'd like to remind you to please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in. Thank mm-hmm. you.